This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Ho, 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 hello, and welcome back to Bar Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that quite fancies a luxury trip to a ski resort on an Austrian mountainside this time of year, but only on the condition that I absolutely in no way have to ski, because that's very important. It's not one of my skill set. Hello, everybody. My name is Helen O'Hara. I am once again your host. And today we are talking about Your Christmas or Mine 2. Yes, this is another entry in the very select, nay, elite group of Christmas movie sequels. This is right alongside, or is it, Die Hard 2, The Santa Claus 2, uh, well, not not very many others, if, if, if I'm honest. But hey, you know, at least there are some. Uh, and joining me today to discuss it is a friend of mine, an extraordinary journalist, a fantastic author who has not one but two books coming out in the early months of next year, The Overachieving Dastard. It is, of course, Kat Brown. Hello, Kat. Hello. I, I have actually intended to have two books coming out at once, just so that it makes me more useful for discussing sequels. I would, oh, of course. And I would obviously put Your Christmas or Mine 2 up there with Grease 2 and Jaws 2 and other famous all-year-round sequels. Speed 2. Oh, wait, no, these are terrible <laughs> examples. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, so yes, let's before we sort of set out our soul and talk uh, about the film, um, I'm very excited that we are joined by two of the cast because the leads of this film, Asa Butterfield, who, of course, you know from the likes of Sex Education and a million other things and Cora Kirk who was a relative newcomer when she appeared in the first film last year she's been doing some I think interesting things coming up as well joined me in London recently to talk about this film to talk about the question of Christmas sequels and uh, to generally have a good old natter so please enjoy here are Asa and Cora Welcome to, welcome back, I should say, to Bah Humbug podcast. You were kind enough to come along last year, but it was obviously virtual, so it's lovely to see you in person. And yeah, this has been a quick turnaround, my goodness, you're back already. Did it, was it something you expected? Is it something people were talking about at the premiere last year? When did this happen? We were talking about it. We were sort of Uh joking about it during Uh the making of the first one, like, oh, if there was a sequel, where would we go? Like, oh, maybe we go to the Caribbean, oh, maybe we go skiing, oh, maybe we go to the moon, whatever it is. Tom, the writer, was secretly listening, plotting and writing the entire time. And um, now we're here. So, so when did when did you shoot this? Like, give me. I'm genuinely fascinated by the timetable because it's such a quick turnaround. This one, we where were we? In April. April to June. April to okay. May, yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it felt like it was so, so it was long. Six, six weeks. Shoot. Yeah, yeah, three weeks yeah. in. Austria. Austria. In three weeks in three weeks uh, East Austria. London. Three mills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if anything more glamorous than yeah. a ski lodge in Austria, I think. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And and so how was it kind of, you know, getting back into that Christmas spirit quite so soon after Christmas again? Oh, it was lovely. Yeah. I never leave the Christmas spirit. I love yeah, Christmas. You don't. That explains No, it, I know. Doesn't it? What explains what? You. My constant optimism. <laughs> you as a person. <laughs> Um, no, it was lovely. Spirit of Christmas now. Spirit of Christmas all the time. Um, no, it was really nice. And it was actually a lot easier this year because we actually had real snow. Mm. So in the first film, obviously, there wasn't any real snow. Spoilers. Um, but this time, obviously, being in Austria, it was cold. We were cold. There was no acting required. Nope. We were freezing. <laughs> and it was just really added to that. A, the jeopardy of the film, if you can use the word jeopardy to describe this film, the jeopardy of the mix-up, and also, you know, the feel of Christmas. Yeah. I love that you're like Scrooge post three ghosts. You're keeping the spirit of Christmas alive all the time. It's amazing. So um, so tell tell us about, just kind of introduce what's happened to James and Hayley since last we saw them. How have they sort of changed or not by the time we meet them again at the start of this one? 
Um, well, they're a year further into their relationship. Mm-hmm. There's the in the first one. There was obviously the kind of still figuring each other out. Sort of not. I wouldn't say treading on eggshells, but there's still mm. a lot of lots of stuff tre- they haven't told each yeah, other. Yeah, there's stuff they haven't told each other. They just want to impress each other. There's these secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, this time around, things are easier. However, there's tension that comes with having a family holiday. Yes. Um, and our families in this film are quite different. Mm-hmm. And we're all bunched into one space and expectedly it doesn't go according to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes a little bit chaotic. And, uh, awry. Yeah. Awry. <laughs> Absolutely. So was it hard to kind of get back into that, that those shoes or was it just kind of once you saw all that cast around you again, it sort of... It happened. I remember during the read-through, we quite... We just... I feel like we just slipped back into we it and we had that it. banter, we had the little Christmas jabs and yeah. uh, we were kind of eking the best out of the yeah. script and adding adding things in. And, and it helps that we've got such such an incredible ensemble, like the comedy chops of Danny Mays and Angela Griffin and mm-hmm. Alex Jennings and then our new... David Bradley. Yeah, David. Well, he, he made me... Cry with laughter most days. Every day, yeah. Yeah. And then Jane Kukowski, our new, yeah. our new addition to the family. Like, it was, it was phenomenal watching her work and getting all to be back together. I would just be throwing thirty rock quotes at her like twenty four hours a day. <laughs> never I seen don't know. It. Have you not? Oh I've never God. seen it. I've heard her voice in I think Ice Age. Was she in Ice Age? I think she was in Ice Age three or something. That sounds right. So I've heard her voice, but I've actually never seen her in action apart from on our set. So it was an absolute privilege because her improvisation chops are unmatched, unbelievable. We would be acting in a scene, really, really going with it, going with it, and then she'd just pull out a line. And you were like, sorry, where did that come from? Are you jo- <laughs> did you just make that up? And then every take, it would just be slightly different. And it was just phenomenal to watch and hilarious. You have such a treat in store watching that for the first time. I'm so jealous of you. It's amazing. And But yeah, it is It is an incredible, incredible group of people. I'm fascinated also that David Bradley gets to be funny because I feel like on screen, he's yeah. often the scary guy, right? And it's kind of... It's, it's nice to get it another is, side. It is. He has this impeccably dry sense of humour <laughs> that is quite hard to pin down why it makes me laugh so much. It might just be because it's David Bradley as yeah. well. Um, and him and Alex playing off each other is just... I could sit and watch it all day. I think at times I did, I'd forget my lines just because I'm like there, sort of with a goofy smile on my face <laughs> waiting for David to do something hilarious. And it must have been fun as well for you guys to actually get to get work together a bit more this time, because obviously the whole premise last time was it that was you were... We didn't have any scenes together. No, we had, what, four days, four or five days in the first film of actually being together. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think less. Felt longer. Felt longer. <sighs> yeah. It wasn't long enough. <laughs> but no, this time we actually got to spend time together as the characters, and it's safe to say we're good friends anyway, so it was really nice to be able to have made friends in between the last film and this one and, like, bring sort of uh, even a, a slight more reality to yeah, our, James um, and Haley and a bit more groundedness yeah. because we know each other and James and Haley know each other and we've known each other for the exact amount of time that they have, Yeah, which is nice. Funny, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, at this yeah. point. Wow, that's magic. So tell me about then shooting in the, in the actual snow this time. Like, you know, people talk about it being very difficult. I've, oh, gotcha. I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of film directors and, like, they spend all their time basically smoothing out tracks, moving snow from one place to another. Does it does it slow everything down? Does it make everything tougher? Oh, or was it just quite fun? yeah. No, it, oh, was, yeah. it was not simple. Mm-mm. None of us thought it was going to be simple. I did. But... I honestly <laughs> Cora did. Cora thought it was going to be simple. Uh, yeah, Trying to walk a steady cam through snow or trying to set up like a dolly and tracks on a ski slope. It's, uh, it's it, yeah, it doesn't sound sensible, but mm. we did it and we managed to film everything. But we had an incredible crew behind yeah. us who, yeah. I don't know the what. The Austrian and British crew yeah. who just really pulled their socks up. Yeah. Physically and metaphorically. Yeah. Night shoots, day shoots, oh, wow. in the cold in the slush, it all started to melt by the end of it. So we had people shoveling snow from up the mountain, down bringing the it mountain. down the mountain yeah. and then putting our shot. But yeah. that also was a lot of fun because you can imagine the antics one gets up to, like we all turn into kids when we mm-hmm. see the snow. Yeah. So I won't name names, but there was one particular actor 
who tried to throw me down a ski slope many, many times and was assisted by the two little actors who play my brothers. Mm. And you three just were intent on trying to murder me for a lot of the shoot in Austria. <laughs> Slightly. It was great. It was fun. awful. It was hilarious. Um, but no, apart from being like smothered with snow, it was it was really fun, was it? Yeah. And are you skiers yourselves? I've never been on a ski holiday, so I have nothing to judge the reality of this by. So I can I can ski, but they didn't let me ski. They but didn't let did, me ski. It, yeah. But I did on occasion have a little have a little slide a little down, the down the hill. I can't ski. Cora can't ski, and sometimes she also accidentally had a little slide down. Uh, but this was completely accidental because we had to. I had an incredible ski double, Ella Matthews, who was divine and an incredibly good skier. So they kept having to say to her, "A bit, bit more rubbish than that." Haley isn't isn't that good. And when I had the skis on, obviously we'd buoy on top of a ski slope, and they said, "If you start moving, just throw yourself on the ground." Because you will ski, well, you won't, but I would have fallen over, but you will just pick up speed and then you'll break something. So they said, just throw yourself on the ground. So I spent a lot of the ski shoot throwing myself on the ground. Whereas you were being elegant and stunning and gliding around. Thank you. In... <laughs> Stop. You were, you were great, and I was rubbish. Hey, but that's, you know, that's obviously just deliberate, right? That's method acting Absolutely. on your part. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really went method. But in all seriousness, I I can't ski and I don't want to ski. It looks really stressful. Mm. It felt stressful. And I didn't even ski. I've got a friend who's broken his back twice. No, skiing. see? Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Spa, sauna, yes. Skiing, no, no. Apre ski, 100%. Apre ski, yeah. yeah. I also wanted to ask actually about the little brothers because I feel like James was quite frankly getting bullied in the last film and uh, he he a little bit got his own back here. He a little bit, you know, he 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 got them in line. Yeah, no, I feel like he's obviously got to know them over the course of the year and that the, I think that's their game is they tease each other. Mm. Um, James is a little bit of a softy, so he kind of gets quite defensive, even though they're just kids, mm. which is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It was quite fun. I have to ask as well about working with a goat. Yeah. How was that? Um, Klaus was, uh, I wouldn't say a diva, mm. but he had his good days and bad days. And when Klaus wasn't having a good day, we all knew it. Mm. Um, and God, did we try. We had so many different goat feeds, mm. things to intrigue him. He just didn't want to go in the pen. Bless him, he was quite scared. I mean, he's, he's, he's only a goat. He was surrounded by A-list actors, so obviously he was terrified yeah. of not delivering. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he tried to escape a few times. <laughs> we had to wait a while whilst they had to sort of track him down the mountain. Really? Yeah. I wasn't there for, a lot, there of for a lot of the ram, yeah. I was in the spa. <laughs> he, he jumped over the fence and legs down the, down the road, down the mountain. Oh my God. At night, and goats don't have a very good eyesight, so we had to get him, and we did, and he was fine. We had to get him, did you? We, yeah, did yeah, you? I, I, uh, Abandoned. I sort of came around the front, I sort of scared him, like a, a sheepdog. Oh, flipping it. And then when we came to shooting the scene on the tarmac in the end, mm. oh. he was like, he's like a 60s movie star, like he knew where his mark was. Wow. At one point he even like shot a look over his shoulder, like nice three quarters back to the lens. Bleated. Did and skipped out shot. No, I mean, I'm oh, right, right, right. a little. But he, yeah. he, got, he got his mark in he the He picked end. it up quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just, just to calibrate, since this is a Christmas movies podcast, what do you think of the level of Christmassiness, that's a very scientific term, in this one compared to the last? Like, it, does it feel more Christmassy to you because there's less, more snow? Does it feel less Christmassy because it's not at home? Like, you know, how would you, how would you sell it to people or tell, explain it to people? I would say it's a different. It's a different sort of. It's not. It's not a, it's not a traditional Christmas. First of all, I feel like I had very traditional, homely Christmas vibes. Yeah. This is the sort of the Christmas that not many people have, or maybe they have once every ten or fifteen years, where they go somewhere exotic, and you realise, oh, we probably could have just had Christmas at home. Exactly, but that's what's so lovely because that's that difference in Christmas is what the. Taylors find so discombobulating. Like, there's an incredible... Danny Mears delivers this fantastic performance when 
the family are in the hotel and they're talking about the 15 desserts or the 13 desserts. And he's like, yes, let's get in with that. And Angela's character is like, what? No, that's not, that's not Christmas. Mm -hmm. And it was lovely to see yeah. all these different traditions that loads of people, loads of places have. So I think it's different yeah. types of Christmas. It's different, but it also just reinforces the fact that it's not about where you are, it's who you're with for Christmas. Mm. Yeah. 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 Cheers and that's that. what this is all about. Absolutely. I have to ask about the 13 desserts, actually. I mean, did you get 13 desserts, like, as a feast at the end? No. Did anyone did explain not? to you what the 13 desserts were? We definitely had a few on that Christmas dinner scene. I had four. Yes, we did! <laughs> but I don't eat on screen, because I've heard horror stories about how once you eat, you have to keep eating. Yeah. And I could eat for England. So, and I don't want to do that on screen, because I think it would be not pleasant for anyone to witness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... You did, though. Yeah. I remember a grape. I remember eating a grape. Yeah. And I remember eating not on screen when we'd yeah. finished. I remember yeah. going back. I remember those chocolate um, macaroons. God, they were good. Oh, they were really good. I we kept have... eating them, even I when they the weren't rolling. I'd, like, step off set and just, like, reach into the, the art department's bag and eat <laughs> these chocolate so macaroons. I know we'd have, they never explained the 30 desserts, which actually shame on us for not... Doing our mm. research. Absolutely. Shame that would have been my first us. question. So I've got the script. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I thought, thought really enjoyed it, but I, I, I have to know. I have to divulge. For my it. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wasn't, didn't Ram list off, like, 20 desserts? Mm. Yeah, but it's why, why the 13 desserts. Oh. I think it's an Austrian tradition. Right. I bet it's just Tom just came up with it. Or Tom Parry, our fantastic writer, has made it. He just, he just whipped it out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. that's his tradition. Maybe he's just in plan. <laughs> I mean, if so, I'm going to his house next Christmas. It sounds amazing. I, I also have to say, I mean, you've, you've now joined a very elite group of Christmas movie sequels. I mean, you're up there with The Santa Claus, Die Hard and Home Alone. Um, and really very few others that I can think of that are direct sequels. So uh, first of all, you know, how does that make you feel? And second of all, what's your favourite Christmas sequel? I mean, when you put it like that. I know, I, mean, I don't know. I feel terrified initially. Yeah. Terrified but proud. Favourite Christmas sequel? A favourite Christmas sequel? Home Alone 2, probably. It's got to be, right? New York at Christmas is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. You've got to tell me what I'm missing with this because I've oh, yeah. never watched Home Alone. <gasps> I've watched Die Hard, but I now need to jump on this train of watching... Die Hard 2, then. Of Die Hard 2. <laughs> yeah. And Home Alone. And Home Alone. But is yeah. Die Hard Good. 2 also a Christmas film? It's also set at Christmas. Is it? How can the same bleeps happen to the same guy twice? Yeah. I'm clearly missing something really good with this whole Home Alone thing. You are. <laughs> I mean, I talked to Tom last year. He literally said it was an influence on this film. So, oh, really? Yeah, so... Come on. Oh, That's what he was going for. The, I've seen the running through the airport bit with the mum. Mm -hmm. The really yeah. lovely mum and all the kids. Mm -hmm. That's like us. Yeah. I've not seen the rest. Oh, we've not actually seen this either. No, we haven't seen your Christmas Online 2 yet. We will this evening. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, so you're like waiting for the premiere and yeah. sort of having the big experience. Mm -hmm. That's going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, you know, could there be more? Is this going to be an annual tradition now for you two? I bloody hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Prime video, if Come you can Tom. hear us. Get right in. Your Christmas Online 3, because a trilogy, all good things are a trilogy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I've lost. Go I mean, on. we're going to call Die Hard a trilogy and just ignore yeah. the ones that don't um, fit that. Yeah, that Home Alone narrative. is a trilogy if we ignore the. Well, if we ignore the other ones, yeah, other absolutely. Ones. Yeah. What else is a trilogy? Harry Potter. It's not. No, don't. <laughs> you can no, that's that's. A, four through eight. <laughs> no, no, no. But no, it would be an absolute pleasure and honour to mm. be asked to do a third one. And it feels like there's there's like a specific places they can go with this one yeah. at the end of this story. So, mm -hmm. you know. I hope so. I hope so. So what's next for both of you, just finishing up? What have you got lined up after this? Um, I mean, apart I, from Christmas, I guess. Apart from, yeah, well, yeah, Christmas celebrations. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got some things lined up for the new year. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully be able to tell you more about that soon. Everybody back off strike and just raring to go, I think, at this point, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Well, best of luck with it and best of luck with this. Thank you so much for talking Thank to you. me. Thank you. Cheers. I'm Helen O'Hara, film journalist, author and host of Women vs. Hollywood. We're exploring the fall and rise of women in Hollywood from the silent era to the present day and into the future. Each episode, I'm joined by three or more special guests to discuss the challenges that women face in the film industry and look at what we can do to change the picture. 
We've got actors, directors, producers, writers, academics, film experts, you name it, they're all here to explain what's going on in Hollywood. Search for Women vs. Hollywood now, wherever you're listening to this, and come join us. All right, well, they were the stars of the film and delightful, horrifyingly young people they were too. Um, (laughs) But Kat, tell me, what did you think of this? Because I know we talked about the last one last year. What did you think of this? I loved Your Christmas or Mine. It was so much better than it had any need to be. And the same is definitely true of Your Christmas or Mine too. But that's only by the standards of most fairly awful Christmas sequels. Um, I, I, should, should, we, should we go through the plot first, Helen? The, uh... I think we should set it out a little bit for people. So uh, essentially, it's a Christmas holiday movie in the sense of people are going away on holiday. They're flying off to Austria uh, to go skiing. And the two respective families of our heroes have booked their respective accommodation. Now, Lord, what's his name? Alex Jennings, uh, Lord Humphrey, has booked a very very nice ski resort for himself, his father, played by David Bradley, and his new fiance, played by none other than Jane Krakowski. Woo-hoo! Oh my God. They've booked a lovely resort. Meanwhile, Jeff, who is Haley's father, that is, of course, Cora's character, normal working class man, runs a nice cream van. He has booked his own accommodation. It turns out, A, it's in the wrong place, and B, it's not five star standard, I think it's fair to say. And wouldn't you know it, the two families end up going to the wrong hotels. I, I was shocked, Helen, shocked. Who could have seen this? Who could have seen this coming? Um, there are some lovely, lovely lines in this film, um, but it's a little bit like rootling through the Christmas box and going, oh, there are some chocolates I want to eat left. They're not all strawberry and orange creams. When Jeff and, and Kath sort of realise what's happened, uh, Jeff Daniel Daniel Mays, who plays Jeff, has got this gorgeous line, I'm a nice cream van man, Kath. A good one. Some say the best, but I'm not Richard fricking Branson, am I? And if, if we'd had more of that, a little bit like the first film, I would have been... I, I wouldn't have cared about chocolates at all. Just absolutely overjoyed. That there's a really odd setup for this, in that somehow the two families have become good enough pals that they want to a go on holiday together. I I couldn't imagine anything worse than my two families being combined, just because families have got such rigid ways of holidaying. And yes. James, Hubert, Gillet, whatever you like to call him, and his dad, they are but two. And now with the addition of Jane Krakowski's wonderful New York best-selling author, Diane, um, there's a small group there, but not just that they've got different ways of presumably being on holiday, but completely different budgets. And mm. Jeff and Kath have got a fairly massive family to, to fork out for. And I think that they sort of bring up throughout the film, this sort of question of who has more, who has less but more, because obviously it's Christmas, and Lord Humphrey had offered to pay for everybody and, uh, you know, the family had understandably said no. But it's like, you know, if you're if you're going to go on holiday together, then as we know from endless hen weekends and similar, you have to organise the budget first. This is a conversation that happens so that we don't have, like, rather mean-spirited things that happen throughout the film, like the kids and the family pinching the sexy Porsche minivan that is supposed to go to Lord Humphrey's hotel and Kath saying some really quite like uncharacteristically mean things to Diane later on. And yeah, yeah, there's just things in here that are just like, oh, somebody's really soured the bread sauce. It's, it's an odd... It's an odd way to do it because, uh, yeah, you know, the mix-up initially is understandable. You know, basically James says to um, Haley's family, you just you just take this van. This is, we're all going to the same place. No big deal. Not realising that, you know, uh, Jeff has booked them into entirely the wrong side of the valley. I mean, so again, lack of a spreadsheet. You're absolutely right. There should have been some kind of spreadsheet, some kind of organisation. Um, I also do feel like, you know, there, could, there would have been a way for uh, Lord Humphrey. And uh, again, we've gone full aristocrats here, yeah, but w- but for the rich family to have invited everyone and not maybe rub it in their faces. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know, if they had just rented a chalet, then they could have kind of hosted the other family and it wouldn't have felt like 
they're offering to pay for our hotel, it would have been like, we're going to their chalet, which is a different energy, right? That's Mm. a different thing. And so I I kind of, uh, first of all, I feel this is a misguided setup for a holiday entirely. Um, but, But secondly, it really does play up to a huge degree and to a degree that I don't think the first film did, how bad Cora's family's or the, the Taylor family's accommodation is. I mean, this is full on nightmare scenario B&B. The idea is, is that Jeff has put the, the name of the of the hotel the wrong way round. Mm. And so that they've they've ended up in an almost stereotype, actually quite Christmas appropriate. It could be a manger in the nativity. Um, really? yeah. but, but again, it's just this, all these sort of odd little touches that sort of, I don't know, just stop it being as heartwarming as you'd like. Because if they've if they've become close enough, despite living miles away from each other, that they want to go on holiday together, then like Humphrey has chosen not just a posh hotel, but a hotel in a presumably incredibly she-she skiing district in Austria, but where basically everything seems to be included all of the time and where there is essentially a hotel manager come personal butler who will like style the family and everything because they've left their clothes behind this isn't this is not something that Sloanes in the country would would go and do this is somebody who is it's basically they've sort of walked into queen latifah's excellent christmas film the last holiday oh, and what a movie. it's it's almost like what do we know about humphrey is he is he is he going to die? Is he like cashing in all of his chips or something? Because this is spendy beyond belief. It really is. I mean, I haven't been skiing, right? But but when my friend, most of my friends who went skiing used to go when we were younger, right? It was a big thing to do in your in your twenties among certain groups of people that I know. Not everybody. I know you've been skiing a couple of times, so you can maybe speak to this. But a lot of the people I know who went skiing went. That Austria was famously kind of expensive for them. Mm. And they didn't go to Austria because they couldn't afford it. They would go maybe Czechoslovakia skiing or they would go, you know, they certainly wouldn't, Val d'Isere at one point was affordable and then I, I gather became less so, you know. So there was there were all these kind of calculations that went into it. Um, and yet it, it feels like nobody's done the calculating this time. You know, no one's sat and worked that out. No, I went to uh, Sofia in Bulgaria and had Ooh. the most amazing week. I mean, I have no centre of gravity. I'm incredibly tall. I'm very wobbly. And now I've got a hip replacement. I'm never going skiing again, Helen. I'm just not risking it. I'd go on a little toboggan or something like that down the nursery slope. But again, just the the joy of, of that trip, which was years ago now, but which I still love, was that nobody was paying beyond their means. The food was incredible. And we discovered the joy of adding amaretto to literally any hot drink and making it a hundred times better. Um, one thing I really did love though, is that all of Haley's family had spent like the previous six weeks, essentially in their own training montage, learning to ski on the dry ski slopes. And that, that, Oh, that was a detail that was absolutely spot on and sort of took me straight back into the story. But just every now and then, and I know it's I know it's silly to be going on about ooh, details for, for Christmas films, which are famously, you know, background. But the problem is, is your Christmas or mine one was too good. Mm. And so therefore my expectations are unnecessarily high. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree that there are these moments of real connection and real, you know, or I recognise that. I mean, the glee that um, that Haley's little brothers have being in this fancy hotel, 100%. Mm, I still feel that, that any time anyone yeah. lets me into a fancy hotel, you know. Um, so I, that kind of stuff was, was really well done and really, really true. The, the fact that um, her, her mum, her aunt, uh, all the girls basically could go and have their traditional kind of Christmas Eve pampering night, but this time at a sort of five-star spa. Lovely. It really kind of worked and felt true to the characters and felt true to the first film. I thought that was great. I also loved, by the way, uh, Grandad, played by Ram John Holder, an absolute comedy legend, sitting there trying to work out if we're having 13 desserts at this feast, what could those possibly <laughs> be? Possibly be. What could they be? I love that. Endless I would starts, absolutely be doing the endless same. Endless pies. And you're like, probably none of those, to be honest, but <laughs> ca- carry on just naming puddings. That's marvellous. Mm. I also love the, um, the boys get to go off to the pub Humphrey being on this health kick with his new uh, American girlfriend, Diane, is technically supposed to have one gin and tonic and then not. And then they get recruited into an extremely masculine beer drinking competition, which gave me big flashbacks to Freshers Week. Um, <laughs> but I, I loved I loved 
them saying, do it for Churchill, do it for Paddington. And again, and again, perfect reference, because Paddington is arguably the most British and the most wholesome moment of our times. Um, I also love the extremes of, of Diane going from a green juice at the beginning of the girls' pamper night to then going, oh, maybe I'll have an elderflower presse and really push the boat out. It was just wonderful. Um, again, terribly unrealistic that after that amount of beer, um, the boys could sober up so quickly. Uh, but I loved James Hubert Gillet, as his three names shall be, just saying, I'm not drunk. I've had five tiny coffees. And again, the rationale <laughs> of that was very recognisable. That that was superb. Yeah, I love that for him. Um, what did you think of his, uh, not girlfriend, but his ex sort of, you know, well, first kiss at the age of 10, uh, B turning up, played by Rhea Norwood. That felt very every rom-com I've ever seen, if I'm honest. And, and actually, similar to the first film, where her ex-boyfriend was a, was a presence. Yes, I, I don't really mind that so much because arguably I want every rom-com I see to be like every good <laughs> rom-com I've seen. I want those beats ticked off. I did love it though, because it's Rhea Norwood who plays Imogen in Heartstopper on Netflix, that gorgeous adaptation of the of the graphic novels and uh, sort of playing a similar a similar character here. But just again, these big character holes, like she's obviously supposed to be endemic of every honking Sloan that is at a ski resort at this time of year. Um, although she's come on her own, which absolutely does not chime, because in your early 20s, as a honking Sloan, you would you would be there with your parents who you would just not see all week, or you would be doing a chalet season or uh, on basically on somebody else's dime, absolutely not your own, and there to just be charming and lovely and, and honk around. But just this thing about they sort of try and bring in this sort of uncertainty of Haley's relationship with James. And it's like, guys, you are on a very expensive skiing holiday with both of your families. Your relationship surely must be secure enough to take this. Apparently it's not, but there we go. Um, also just weird things like for some reason B says, like she talks about like a regatta and just says regatta. And it's like, again, that's just sort of took me out because it's, are you trying to play up some kind of, I mean, the, the, the upper classes already parody themselves, as we have seen from literally every Richard Curtis film. Mm -hmm. So again, just these sort of weird little details that are waking me up from the the lovely, hazy, Christmassy glow that I just want to watch these sorts of films in. Yeah, I I, I don't. I thought she was actually a well played character in the sense that she wasn't. She wasn't the the absolute screaming horror that I thought she was going to be. I thought she was going to be actively nasty, mm. um, and and she wasn't at all. She was actually a delightful human being. Um, so that was lovely. But um, ultimately, I just I just I wanted maybe just something that felt a bit fresher than a Sloney X, you know, yeah, and realistic so, as well. Because it's mm. this whole thing where they say in, in almost in two breaths, oh God, we haven't seen each other in like seven, eight years. And then James says to Haley, oh my God, look, my two favourite people in the whole world. And it's like, really? Wow. You, you know, no people, like none people. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was just sent off to boys boarding school and was locked away from her forever. Yeah, that was odd. I, I will say what I did appreciate, we start off with both families going to the wrong side of the valley, the wrong house, as it were, I, I I do appreciate that they didn't just play out the entire film with them split up again. Mm. And I think that would have felt very retready of the first film. And then the first film, it worked because you were you were meeting all these characters for the first time and they were both, you know, they were in contact with each other so they could sort of compare notes a little bit. Um, but if you'd done that again for the entire film, I think you would have been, you would have run out of jokes very fast. And I think they realised that to their credit um, because this is the same team behind the film making this. We, sh we should probably mention it's Jim O'Hanlon back directing and Tom Parry once again on script duties. So, you know, they have gone out of their way to to try and shush it up. And of course, I guess that's a that's a classic thing, isn't it, for a for a sequel, just put everybody somewhere new, send them mm. abroad. Mamma Mia did it, Downton did it, for God's sake. You know, it's always possible. I did like the the little note that we definitely were in Austria as opposed to anywhere with snow where um, the minute amount of German 
that everybody in the family speaks, which again, all I've got is GCSE German from about 1998. I would definitely, I could probably order some like Golden Virginia tobacco and that would be about it, which way is the best way to the post office. But I did love the way that they sort of went up to say like, hello. And um, and then the reply came like, Gruß Gott, which I remember from reading one chalet school book in my childhood mm. is definitely oh, a I've good Austrian greeting. Mm. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, that was, it was lovely sort of seeing that they'd got, more budget to put that there but it was just you know the joy of the first one again was the warmth of Haley's family and the total acceptance of Haley's family of each of them like Auntie Kay who I adore and who mm. has as she said been very very busy on Duolingo ahead of this trip which is wonderful and everybody just accepting each other for who they are and I think there is always this really like just uncomfortable thing of whenever there's a fish out of water moment in very Mm. inverted commas it's always the people who have the less money that end up being portrayed as chippier about it whereas like you know having worked at you know Wimbledon tennis and that sort of thing over the years oh my god posh people with too much money can get as chippy as you like in fact arguably more um so it just sort of felt like Mm. that was just a a trope we didn't quite work. It did. It did feel unkind to to Kath. That's Angela Griffith, Griffin's mm. character, the, the mother, who who she that she sort of does prickle to the degree that she does a little bit of prickling. I think at, at Diane, at the Jane Krakowski character, is probably warranted. I mean, the way she name drops, which is very fun, is would drive you up the wall after after a couple of you know hours in real life. So I get a little bit of sort of bridling at that woman and and not being comfortable with her, but I would maybe it it yeah it does feel like it's it's less generous and less warm-hearted than Kath has been portrayed as before. So it feels a little bit maybe out of character for her. But I, I will say I liked where it ended up. I liked where that moment of the story sort of came to, and those women kind of reaching a, a bit of an understanding and a bit of a bit of acceptance of each other. No, that's true. I think. If if Jane Krakowski was playing someone similar to her usual roles, um, and actually if this film had been worse, this would definitely have been her rural juror from 30 Rock moment. Oh, one of those yes. awful films that she, that Jenna goes off to record during hiatus. But it, Diane, yes, she is largely lacking in self-awareness, but and she is, you know, very privileged and all that sort of stuff. She is also a complete newcomer to this group she's going on holiday with her not even family really like the her potential future stepson's girlfriend's family who completely Mm. outnumber them like at least two to one and you know she's she's not in her hotel uh, everything's a bit weird. People are being sort of prickly. As as she says, uh, quite amusingly, you know, she can't understand anybody much in the same way certain English and US accents just fundamentally butt against each other. Mm-hmm. But she is, you know, fundamentally shown to be a reasonably kind person. And she certainly joins in. It's not like she's yeah. just sitting there having a massive sulk um, all the time, certainly anyway. And uh, yeah, so it just sort of feels like there is just an element where perhaps the family doesn't come off quite as well as they could do because they just Mm. aren't as kind or, you know, thoughtful as they could be. I mean, again, it's Christmas. Nobody's thoughtful or kind in a Christmas film at Christmas. (laughs) Well, I, I tell you what I did like for Kath's character, and I really liked the idea that she didn't really want to be on holiday at Christmas. Mm. She actually wanted her traditional family Christmas at home with everyone around, squeezing into the table, and she didn't want a gourmet meal. She wanted a traditional Christmas meal. You know, those kind of things I thought were a great character beat. And I mean, I identify a little bit with that. I have done a couple of times Christmases abroad. Um, We we did a big family get-together for my granny's 80th. We all, all and extended family, went to Florida one year. And that's the plot of your Christmas or mine three. (laughs) It might be. Well, we should talk about that in a minute. Um, And I also did uh, did a year once when I was was interning on death penalty cases 
with a law firm in Texas. And I, it was the one time in my life where I couldn't afford to fly home, but I could afford to fly to my aunt in the Cayman Islands. Oh Not God. something I've ever felt before or since. Um, so I went to the Cayman Islands for Christmas one year as well, which was wonderful, but weird. You feel like you, you I got to the following year and I felt like I'd skipped a Christmas. I felt mm. like I, because I had had everything. We had done all the trimmings. We had, we had had all the fun. It had been wonderful. But I still felt like I had missed out on something because it hadn't been traditional Christmas at home. Yeah. And I feel like, so I feel like Kath has an element of that going on. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I just, again, sort of wish that that had been more of the story from the beginning because I would buy into that more mm. if she'd been at the airport going, oh, you know, is everybody going to be all right at home? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I've bought like X, Y, and Z decoration that has to come with that sort of thing. Um, I'm sort of feeling that myself in a different way because um, like my husband and I don't have kids and apparently animals don't count. Who knew? Oh. Um, but, and so we've never, up until the pandemic, we had never had Christmas at our house because mm. we would always go to one or other family, which is fantastic. The problem is, is now having had Christmas, just the two of us plus animals plus neighbours and that sort of thing. I unfortunately like that the best. Um, and so now I'm just sort of like, well, I will happily go anywhere for Christmas Eve uh, or Boxing Day onwards. But actually I sort of, yeah, I I do just want to have Christmas at home. So, Kath, uh, I'm with you on that front. Although that hotel looked dreamy AF. It did look rather nice. And those views out the window, you know, it, they were making a compelling case for Christmas in Austria. I, I will say that. Also, 13 desserts. I mean, you know, yes, tick. That is I'm the on saddest thing that. of all that film is that um, due to plot, uh, the 13 puddings were just never, never got never their time revealed. to shine. We we do, however, see that lovely scene over the, over the oh, closing credits where everyone's having a bit of a sing-along, a bit of a dance around. Jane Krakowski finally gets to sing, which is oh, always a good beautiful. thing. She's amazing. I also love that she's singing one of the Christmas songs that is played to death here in the UK and just going, I don't even know this. We don't even sing this, you know, which which I, I thought was wonderful. Um, but yeah, it, it you know, you get a little bit of that Christmas spirit. It is definitely there. It's not just a sort of Christmas rom-com. Mm. There, there is an element where I'm just like, wow, you're having to make the best of it in a five-star Austrian hotel with amazing mm. ski slope. Oh, okay. The I'm heart so bleeds. sorry. My heart is run dry from all of the bleeding it's doing. Exactly. <laughs> but actually, there was that lovely moment at the end, which you alluded to earlier, which was Grandpa gives Haley a little pep talk on on the plane, supposedly home, for big, big amounts of plot that we're just not going to mention because that's too spoilery for words, but you can sort of see where it would be going. And he he does sort of allude to the fact that he might like to spend Christmas back home, but like properly back home next year. Will we, will we see the families get on a plane to, was it Barbados? The Caribbean, certainly somewhere. What do you mean? Because oh, grandpa's talking about going back home. Oh, that's interesting. That's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, no, home Yeah, home. you're right. They've set that up. I was thinking LA. So, so okay, so just, just to clear there, if we're talking your Christmas or mine three, and I'm really upset they didn't do like two mine, two Christmas or something with this, because I think that would have been fun. But um, uh, if if we're talking your Christmas or mine three, I mean, I, I think they have options. You're right. It, so it could be back home to where the grandfather, granda was born. It could be LA if if James is going to go and study in LA, go to study filmmaking in LA, which is a possibility mentioned in this film. No spoilers. Um, and it could be, I think, with the way these two kids are going, at some kind of destination wedding. So you could have a Christmas wedding. Christmas has obviously been very important for these two kids at this point. It would make a certain amount of sense for them to get married at Christmas. It, it certainly would, certainly for plotting, it would be extraordinarily helpful. I'm going to potentially a destination wedding next November, which is the closest that I'll get to doing anything like that at Christmas. And that's totally fine. Um, again, it does sort of feel like the family really are going to have to save up their air miles quite a lot. Mm. It's that's yeah, those are going to be some fairly significant flights. And, and also, I think if my calculations are correct, they're only just in their second year of university. They won't have graduated in one year. So unless this film series either takes a year off or pretends that two years have passed 
in-universe, you know, it would be very young to get married when you haven't even graduated yet. Again, this is the Christmas movies universe, Helen. Anything can happen. Anything. Magic. And Santa did it and ran away, you know. It's it's all possible, but but it does feel like there is potential. There's more potential for these characters um, in the future, especially now we've introduced destinations into the mix. Totally. And having been like really quite rude about this film for the, like the last twenty seven minutes, I think it's only because I really love this family, like both families. I think they were so well drawn by Tom Parry in the first film that they can survive this sort of bump along. Mm, not quite, not quite right because the characters are strong enough. And and again, like the the two little boys, Ant and Deck, um, who are just absolute dreams. It it really made me so happy to hear them calling James Gillet again after last time. Um, yes. But and giving him a printed gilet instead of a printed sweatshirt like everyone else. I mean, it's such a silly joke, but that that really gladdened my heart. No, those are really gorgeous. And I think that's it. Is it? After a while of sort of stuffing yourself with the empty marshmallowness of quite a lot of the Christmas films that we get 24-7 around this time of year, it's why the films like Muppet's Christmas Carol, like Elf, and for me, anyway, Your Christmas or Mine, the last one, they really, they really get you like here, wherever here is, wherever my quality streets are currently lodging. They remind you of more of the reason for the season or whatever. And that's not necessarily about religion or about presence or or anything like that. It is just about really enjoying what you have. And if in real life you don't have what you'd like, then being able to sort of spend time with these families, with these friendship groups, with these films is just totally, totally gorgeous and, and really important. That's a beautiful way to put it and, and really a beautiful note to end on. And we should say as well, it does all that and it has a goat. So, you know, Amen. can't argue with that. It's just like the Christmas <laughs> version of The Witch. It is very much like that. <laughs> and I do like the taste of butter. It's an obscure <laughs> joke for anyone out there who's seen The Witch. Um, we should say before we go, now, first of all, I am going to talk about your books in a minute because if anyone doesn't know about them, I think that it's really important that the word gets out there. Uh, but we should say as well that you and I, Kat, are, are planning more podcasts in our future. Shall we tell people about that? I think we should, Helen. What the world needs is more podcasts. More podcasts. More! So yes, we are launching the Pop Culture Drinks podcast. So yes, both of us are pop culture journalists. Kat writes more about books, I feel like, these days than film, but also writes film, radio, TV, you name it, she's covered it. I, of course, my day job is a lot of film and TV. But uh, we are going to be talking about another shared interest that we have, which is soft drinks. Because I have never drunk, and Kat has stopped drinking, what, four years ago? Yep. A bit more? Four years ago? So we, we, we regularly share pictures with each other of good soft drinks menus going, oh, look, I'm somewhere and they have interesting drinks. And we have basically decided to do this on a bigger scale and talk about all the great soft drink options that are out there, why there aren't more soft drinks options in some cases, and um, and what are the stories behind some of the drinks that we like. So we've, we've started recording already. It's going to yep. happen. I really feel like the hotel in Your Christmas or Mine Tea would have a totally banging non-alcoholic drink selection. No question. And about 10 different hot chocolates that you could try as well. You'd be able to <laughs> select your level of cocoa. I mean, that is going to be magnificent, isn't it? Oh. I'm already deeply sad I'm not minted enough to go and find this fictional hotel in Austria and immediately <laughs> dive into its fictional hot chocolate bar. Outrageous. That's very upsetting. Uh, but yes, yeah, so do check that out. Pop Culture Drinks Podcast will be going live on your podcast provider of choice. Um, we've got a couple of sort of like lead-in episodes that are going up at the end of this month, uh, end of December, but we really launch at the beginning of January, don't we? Yes, just in time to capture the uh, disappointed dry January audience. Um, but no, uh, also, if you do really, really want to hate Helen and I in quite a luxurious Austrian five-star hotel way, uh, we are going to the Fat Duck in Bray very soon to go and interview uh, the sommelier there about how they put together their non-alcoholic drinks flights and make it delicious and not just variants on Coke, lemonade and tango, like seemingly 95% of soft drinks menus in the UK. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, and and we're, we're we're willing to make these sacrifices for you. You guys, we're very very brave. We're very brave. But after dry January, 
one way that people can celebrate the end of dry January, of course, Kat, is by buying a book on February 1st. I mean, you know what they say, February the 1st, buy a fucking book, ideally by Cat <laughs> Brown. Absolutely. So so the February 1st book, let me get this right, this is, it's not a bloody trend, isn't that right? It is. It's not a bloody trend. Understanding life as an ADHD adult. Um, I got so fed up by people in my profession wanging on about ADHD and to be honest, loads of other conditions as well, being fashionable, being social media trends that uh, I just decided to be really bloody minded, interview absolutely shed loads of people, experts, and basically get the truth on it. And spoiler, it's not a bloody trend. I would never have guessed, ever, (laughs) ever. Um, But yes, that is out on February 1st. That's going to be an all good and evil news agents and non-aligned neutral news agents as well, I'm sure. And then May... Yes. You have another book coming out, you outrageous overachiever. This is this is actually my first book due to weird timings. So March 21st is No One Talks About This Stuff, 22 stories of almost parenthood. And I've got some amazing writers sharing some really like difficult times in their lives. And the fact that, you know, if you get a happy ending of a baby after fertility treatment or loss, it's not really a happy ending because you're living with that loss onwards. So it's an uplifting book in a way because lots of us experience, well, everybody is going to experience tragedy in their life. And this is about quite a specific avenue of it, but it's parents, it's it's non-parents, it's child-free people, childless people, um, just sharing all of these experiences in very different ways with the hope that it will sort of be a support group in a book for anybody who's going through infertility and loss and is feeling kind of lost about it. So yeah, that is out from Unbound in all good, bad and evil and neutral bookshops from March 21st. March 21st. All right. That is, I mean, they're basically going to be two very important and I think very helpful books for a lot of people. So yes, if you're, if you are aware of anyone who has, who has, you know, been in either of those worlds, I feel like this is going to be something that is genuinely going to help people. But Kat, thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you in about like 10 minutes on the other podcast probably, but it's been a delight. It's been a delight to talk about your Christmas or mine too. Oh, Goodbye and happy Christmas in Austrian German, Helen. I really should have Googled that beforehand. I also should have Googled that. But Fornica uh, Weihnachtstag? I feel like Feliz, that is vaguely German. Feliz Navidad? Is that close enough? <laughs> yeah, I tried to speak Italian in Spain once and it turns out they, they really don't like that. They're not they the really same, don't. Helen. They're not yeah, the same. They can understand it. Like they're just pretending. Let's not, be more, in, let's not be more British than we than we need to be at this point. Very wise. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Thanks, Kat. Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays! just heard a stripped media production. 